Hello, friends, and welcome to The Interesting Hour. I am your host, Justin Kupinoff, and with me, as always, is my good buddy, Devesh Verma. Hey, everybody. We have an amazing guest for you today. But first, this episode of The Interesting Hour is brought to you by Core Foundation. Core Foundation is a multimedia nonprofit. Check us out at cor-foundation.org. Subscribe, donate, share our media. It's fun. And also... We got Chuck Levins in the house. Thanks, Chuck, for all the help getting us set up with the podcast. If you got any uh, audio needs, visit chucklevins.com. And back to our guest today, we got Derek Bosher. Derek Bosher, artist extraordinaire. <laughs> this guy has been around for quite some time. Uh, he's come from the Royal Academy of Arts, I believe. Is yeah. that what, right? Yeah. And then he's from London, obviously. Yeah, a true Brit. <laughs> a he true... just self-described true Brit. Yeah, you, if you can't tell by his accent in the interview. Um, but you probably seen his work without even realizing it. This guy has been all over. Like He's done work artwork for The Clash. He's done artwork for David Bowie. It's just... He's so involved in not just art, it's also filmmaking. It's just, he's just interesting. Like, yeah. I was super excited when we got this guy on the show. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. And for any aspiring artists, he gives, you know, some advice, too. Because hmm. he's lived his whole life doing art. And hmm. he's like, when he talks about it, he's like a little kid, you know, showing me some of the stuff he's done. It's like, he never lost that, like, true, like, interest and just, you know, love for it. Oh, I love, I loved it. It is so funny because, like, when he's telling his stories and he's telling us his jokes, like... This guy, he, he, he's got some miles on him, but he has this <laughs> smile like a child. Where he's like, he's just smirks like he knows something was going on that no one else did. It was, it's just, it was cool to talk to yeah. him. It was great to go in there and have a couple beers. First thing, he just offered us beers. Oh, and yeah. then it was down to like this. He's like, he's like uh, he didn't want to hear anything about any uh, notes beforehand. He's yeah. like, just interview me. Yeah, just let's just talk. Let's, me. let's hit record. Let's talk. We were on location at his house in Los Angeles. It was... Awesome. Yeah. It was stacked with really history. Cool place. Yeah. So we'll post some pictures. But anyways, guys, let's get the show started. Let's do it. One, two, three, four. Hello, friends. How's it going? I am here with Devesh Verma. Hello. And an amazing artist and self-proclaimed true Brit, Derek Busher. Bosher. Dang it. <laughs> Gosh. How do you like to say your last name? I've heard it said five public, different ways. Publications say I different. I love it when people say Boschier. <laughs> but actually, it's just Bosher. Yeah. Bosher. Yeah. And I live here in LA, so. Yeah. Well, yeah. They, we're all Brits. Land up, you know. <laughs> it must be the weather. Yeah, well, it is. Yeah, I spent 13 years living in Texas, and I got used to the warm climate, and this is warm. And actually, quite funnily, my mother, when I was in my, my mother, when I was probably in my 20s, maybe late 20s, mm-hmm. she said, you know, she said, you were conceived in Malta. So it's in the Mediterranean. <laughs> I was conceived in Malta. So I, I was in the womb there and I thought, oh, this is good, nice and hot. <laughs> maybe I sort of carried that on all the time. It uh, stuck with you your whole life. That's right. Well, I guess yeah. the next step after conception is uh, <laughs> birth. Yeah. So, yeah. where were you born? <laughs> I was born, yeah. I was born in Portsmouth uh, in England, which is the largest naval port in Britain. And the reason I was born there is my father spent uh, 29 years in the Navy, and that was his home port. Hmm. But my father, um, after leaving the Navy, and it, uh, interesting story here, okay. But my father, my father uh, was in four wars, 
And you say, hang on, no one can be in four wars. Well, he faked his age when he was 14 (laughs) and told the Navy he was 16. And I don't know why they didn't check on it, but he he joined the Royal Navy when he was 14 and told them he was 16. And my dad was born in 1900, so he was in the First World War, 1914, 1918. He was in the Second World War at the end of his career, which the Second World War with Germany was 39 to 45. Mm-hmm. So you might ask me, well, what other wars? I mean, the Korean War and all those are later. Uh-huh. Well, my father was in one of two boats that the British government sent to help the Tsar in the, for the Russian, you know, in the Russian Revolution, which the Tsar lost, of course. So my dad was on um, the British boat for then. And my dad was also in the Spanish Civil War because the British government sent three boats this time to help Franco, the fascist, you know, the fascist. Uh-huh. Um, so, yeah, so four wars, yeah. Wow. That's ridiculous. Yeah. With, with a family like that, was there any ever, ever any thought in your mind that you might want to follow in the footsteps and go... Well, I, I was foolishly, you know, you, sometimes in life you do things that, you know, you think, God, within a few minutes I could have changed that. I could have said, I, oh, my father was in the Navy, There's a, and I had, to, I had to do national service. I spent two years in the British Army mm-hmm. because I was fit and over 18, Mm-hmm. And um, there was conscription. If you and I, if I was born three years later, I wouldn't have to done it. I have done it, mm-hmm. but I spent two years in the British Army. You know, God, boring experience. <laughs> <laughs> Hated it. You know, they try to get you. You know, mm-hmm. military. They try to. They want to keep you, you to, there. They get you to conform and you know. Oh, yeah. and, and be you know. Get in line. Killing machine. You know. Get you in that mindset. Yeah. I mean, what happened, too? I mean, I feel it with the Iraq war. I mean, it's, I mean, uh, yeah, I feel absolutely terribly sorry for those 3,000, you know, 4,000 American soldiers that were killed in uh, Afghanistan and, mm-hmm. and, uh, mm-hmm. and uh, um, Iraq. But not enough talked about they needn't have been killed because we shouldn't have gone into that war, basically. Right. I mean, you know, fake, fake information, George Bush and... And Cheney gave the word. And also, of course, um, Tony Blair was part of the conspiracy. Mm-hmm. Tony Blair is really hated in England now. Really? Oh, yeah, he's really hated. He was loved, you know. He was, this was the answer to... But, it, you know, he faked it too. And was he, it because of that decision? Yeah, that... mainly to do with the Iraq war. But wow. a lot of things, all these promises, except that's politicians generally, you know. Promises never fulfilled. Prom- empty pro- promises, never promises, fulfilled. promises, yeah. one or two maybe yeah. will get fulfilled. yeah. If you're lucky, maybe three. Yeah. But, you know, that's actually interesting because you're very outspoken regarding uh, political stuff, right? Like, uh, currently you're, I was looking at this, you're like, you have like you have a lot of commentary on, like, gun control, police brutality. Hmm. Yeah, well, I mean, I mean, the point is, too, I mean, I'm an artist, mm-hmm. and I love all sort of art, by the way. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't like the kind of art, not only like the kind of art that I do, I love abstract art. I love, you know, portraiture and stuff. I love it. I love it all. I mean, I, I admire those artists, but I just couldn't do it myself. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm interested in it, and I'm seeing what other people make abstract paintings. But for me, I couldn't, I'm much more interested in popular culture and people. Yeah, <laughs> That's yeah. what I want to make my art out of, so, mm-hmm. and which is what I've always done. So, um, yeah, 
No. You draw that your inspiration from that kind of stuff, like well, yeah, I've always been involved. That's why I was involved in the British pop art movement, which is mm-hmm. you know basically you know looking at popular culture. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, the British um, public. You know, everyone thinks of the swinging sixties and stuff. Then they were very interesting, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> they were very swingy. Yeah, yeah, they were swingy. But um, you know, um, what happened in the fifties? You see, when my father left the Navy, I mean, my father, God bless him, who I loved, Mm -hmm. he was marvellous. Both my parents were marvellous. I had a very happy childhood. Mm -hmm. And they were working-class, blue-collar workers. Mm -hmm. Because when my father left the Navy after 28 years, he became a janitor Mm -hmm. and went to move to this um, um, small town in Dorset um, for American listeners, um, uh, Dorset is Thomas Hardy country, the, the great British writer Thomas Hardy. Mm-hmm. Um, far from the Madden crowd and all those great novels that were often made into movies. And my father became a caretaker. And um, so, uh, you know, I was a working class lad and I used to do, you know, polishing and help, you know, before I went to school, I used to... And I was brought up in this amazing building. There's actually a picture of it up there. It was a beautiful house. Oh, by the way, to the listeners, we haven't said this yet. We're on location for this episode. We're actually at Derek's home, and it's filled with books, pictures, and awesome stuff. It smells exactly like old book, like that old book smell. Like that, that is just like intoxicating. Like when you go into a library or like one of those old bookstores that's yeah. like. I'm, I'm actually new school, pretending to be old school. <laughs> So, You're trying this really guy's hard the original it. hipster, yeah, right? Yeah, the original yeah. hipster. But <laughs> going back to that sort of early childhood, I spent my teenage years in this small town, which is a sort of medieval town, but also was a farming district. <laughs> and um, you know, I'm I am such an optimist. I mean, I I live life. My my whole philosophy since I was a child has been: look at the worst thing that could happen in any situation relationships, uh, jobs, agreement, anything. Mm -hmm. And then you know it. And then drop it and look and live it optimistically. Mm -hmm. You know, go for it. Yeah. Uh, Because if it did happen, the worst thing, you're prepared. You know, you've done it. (laughs) That's great. But also life takes you on strange journeys. For instance, um, I actually, at the time, because... Britain was still in the fifties, still very class orientated. Since since I understood classism, I understand racism because I, I was a subject of class. Sure. Um, for instance, um, aged eleven years old, everyone in Britain had to sit an exam to go to the grammar school. Mm-hmm. And what the grammar school did, if you got in, you had an, a continuation of your academic training. If you didn't get into grammar school, you went to sort of trade schools. You learned plumbing and, and uh, a trade, basically. Yeah. Uh-huh. And so it separated you, you know, because working class kids were going into trades anyway, mm-hmm. rather than, I mean, unless you were in the 50s, unless you're an absolutely brilliant genius, then you got to university like Oxford and Cambridge. So I sat this exam, and my father said, my father and mother said to me, if you pass this exam, we'll buy you a bicycle. 
Ooh, so incentive. Bicycle. <laughs> so, and so, this is age eleven, you said? Uh, just yeah, eleven. Probably it, it, you're either ten years and two months, or eleven years and two months within that sort of time frame. Mm-hmm. Um, so I sat the exam, and um, two weeks later, the school was assembled in normal, huge uh, morning assemble assembly where you sing hymns and <laughs> do that sort of thing and get mm-hmm. announcements on the holidays and stuff. <laughs> and they, were, they read out the successful candidates who'd passed the exam to go to the grammar school. Just publicly for everybody yeah, to know. Yeah, the whole school knows. <laughs> well, everyone was, wants to know, like, you yeah. look for your grades. Right. But it, instead of looking on a notice board, mm-hmm. they were read out. So the names were read out, and my name wasn't read out, and I thought, oh, there goes the bicycle. (laughs) So, uh, but at 11 o'clock, I had to go and see the headmaster at 11 o'clock. And you never thought, oh, my God, I've got to see, what, what have I done now? Yeah, right. You never cool. see the headmaster, mm-hmm. only from a distance when he, you know, does. You know, <laughs> when you're trying to avoid eye contact. Yes, right. <laughs> so I went to see the headmaster. And he said, well, come in, Bosha. He said, sit down. I sat down and I thought, my parents have died. You know, you never oh, sit man. down. You yeah. know, you start to attention when you mm-hmm. see it. Because it was a time of corporal punishment, you know, you were whipped on the hands and on the arse. So um, anyway, I thought, am I going to get some, I've done something, I know what it is. Anyway, (laughs) he said, sit down. He said, well, Boshi, he said, your name wasn't read out as a successful candidate for the grammar school. And I said, no, sir. And he said, well, in fact, he said, your name was on the list, but we thought there'd been a typing error. (laughs) (laughs) Wow, what such a- confidence at the beginning of my education. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because you know the the grammar school system. Unfortunately, there's talk of it coming back. Um, is a class thing. You know, it's uh, yeah. you know because if you're middle class um, and your f- child fails, well, you pay pay for them to go to private school. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Well, a working class kid, you know, and the parents can't afford that. Mm-hmm. But then again, it does work the other way in some cases, as it did with me. Mm-hmm. So I went to, I got into grammar school and my career was up and down, except I was school track athlete. I was, I was junior champion mm-hmm. of 220 yards, 440, 880, one mile and five mile. They Look were, at you. Those are my things. <laughs> Look at you. Go, nice. go, man. Run, Derek, run. <laughs> run, run, Derek, run. <laughs> But it was good. My academic time was one year I was like in the top five and then next semester I'll be in the bottom five. I, I don't know why. I kind of didn't get to school. I think I was, didn't know I had needed glasses maybe. I was something. You know, there were some things that add up I can't remember now. But I left school at 16. And I thought maybe I'd help my parents out with money and stuff, go to work. Mm-hmm. Well, the only person that said anything to me was the art master. The art master. Yeah, okay. the art master, and he's a marvellous man. He's very British. He was called Edgar Maltby, Mr. Edgar Maltby. He was a marvellous man, marvellous man. You see, because so, of pop culture, when you say that name, all I'm thinking about, what professor from Harry Potter is he? Yeah, that's right. He <laughs> had those sort of names, right. Yeah. Well, Edgar, Mr. Maltby, said to me, he's, he came up to me and he said, well, Beauchery, he said, very bad idea to leave school at 16. I said, um... Oh, yes, probably, yeah. And he said, um, what are you going to do? I said, well, I'm going to think I'm going to become a butcher. 
And you said, said, yeah. And I said, were you really said, considering yeah, that? Yeah, okay. Sure. <laughs> but he said, and he said to me, why? Why have you become a butcher? And I said, well, my best friend, Don, he didn't get into grammar school, but I'm very friendly with him. And his father runs a butcher shop mm-hmm. in, the, in the high street. And he said, if I left school and needed a job, I could become a butcher. And I said, oh. He said, oh, I see. He said, well, um, had you ever thought of doing art? And I said, well, what's art? <laughs> and he said, it's what you do on Thursday afternoons. <laughs> and I said, oh, kind of like that, really. And he said, well, you know, um, I'd have to t- t- talk to your parents, but, um, you know, there's, there's places called art colleges where you study art. Mm-hmm. And then he got a portfolio together, I got in. Um, I got into an art school also that took everyone. <laughs> so there was no competition. Really? I mean, well, the faculty were trying to keep their jobs, so the, the more need, students, sure, they, they sure, had to sure, keep sure. everyone. And everyone that went was told that they would be taught to study a particular area. Well, as it happened, the day before the interview, my it was in a place called Yeovil School of Art in Somerset. It so happened that the day before my, my interview, my parents got me together and they said, look, you know, we can't afford to, you know, send you to college, university or anything, but... You, so you tell them if you probably go for a year and they can teach you something that you could earn some money afterwards. Mm-hmm. So I said, yeah. So here I was at 16 and I was at this interview and I said, and uh, <clears throat> I am, <clears throat> um, my, parent, my parents said <laughs> <laughs> that I could come this for a year and uh, could you teach me something where I could earn some money? So they, they said, you are limited. And they sent me outside mm-hmm. and they came back. And they said to me, well, sit down. He said, um, there is something we could teach you and you could earn some money. And uh, do you know the local town? And I said, just a little bit, because it was not in the town I lived. It was, you know, not far away, five or six miles away. Mm-hmm. But um, they said, I said, I know it a bit. And they said, well, you go down the high street and there's a shop down there. Um, uh, there was a one department store, a very small town. They had one department store. I, even today, I remember the name, and it's called Plummer Roddis of Yeovil and Bournemouth. <laughs> so and, elegant, so regal. Uh, yeah, so, so <laughs> they, they said, walk down the street and look in the window. You'll find. So basically, they said they could teach me to be a window dresser. A window dresser? Yeah, that's what I went to art school for. <laughs> but wow. you know, that's what a lot of pop artists start. I mean, that's what Andy Warhol did. I mean, really? He, he was a window dresser, yeah. That was pretty profession. He was a good one. Is it like a is there is there like a, a set path where like comedians I know it's like prestigious to hold like the door like at shows when you're first starting out and like yeah I guess it is. I mean in a lot of businesses people you mm-hmm. just get in and you hear such great stories of people that start right at the bottom and then come, become CEOs because right. they work their way up and that's true too of British going back to the British art school system. You see what happened with me of course. I did one year and I did four years there because I was working class boy and uh, Britain being a socialist country, I, I got grants. I didn't, mm-hmm. it didn't cost, well, it cost my parents a little bit, but sure. I got grants all my life. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, that goes back to, you know, the, in the 50s, the only place, if you were a working class kid who could have a further education was at art school because you couldn't get into universities then much. Hmm. So you got into art school, and of course, art school then bred, and it was 
the time where the working class came through before the 60s, before the swinging 60s, and were part of that. Mm -hmm. I mean, all those great, um, half of those great photographers of the 60s, uh, David Bailey and uh, Duffy and all those people, uh, were working class kids. Uh, and, and also, and then, of course, what happened, it was discovered that the working class people had a chance for further easy. And then that's where all the rock stars came out of. You know, the Beatles, they all went, three of them went to art school. The Who, they all went to art school. The Animals, they went to art school. They are, so art school made the um, rock and roll business, you know, whereas British art flourished, mm -hmm. but even more so British music, you know. British music, main, a lot of it came out of Liverpool, and the reason that pop music came out of Liverpool, the, the what the Beatles learned about music was... Oh, the biggest merchant navy uh, port in England was Liverpool. Mm -hmm. That's where all the goods and the trades came in. Military mm -hmm. was somewhere else. Military was Portsmouth, where I was born. Okay. But what happened is all of the uh, sailors <coughs> sailed around the world, and a lot of sailing was done between the southern states in America. And they picked up, these sailors picked up these records that no one in America was listening to. Uh, mm -hmm. that and makes sense. no one in England was listening to. <laughs> but sailors who came back to Liverpool started playing them. And yeah. people got into, uh, you, know, rhythm, uh, you know, rock and roll, rhythm and blues. And, you know, that's why. Uh, and they, the British, you know, if you think of all those British um, musicians at the time, the animals and... And, you know, the Beatles were influenced by all that, you know, Rolling Stones, of course, very much. That's really cool. Oh, that's They're all, exporting that came music. Out, it, came yeah. out of, it came out of uh, merchant shipping and these people bringing records back that no one in America, except in the South and mm. in the black community, listened mm. to. And they, they got enthralled by it and, and, and took it on. And then, of course, the Beatles then went to Germany and spent four or five years in Hamburg, you know, getting tough and, you know, doing, you know, five <laughs> gigs a night. You know, I mean, you know, just... You know. Yeah, but... But they went to art school, you know, and the art school bands, a lot of a lot of art colleges had good bands. They had, you know, you know. Mm -hmm. So art college, visual art colleges also became sort of music centers, basically. Yeah. So was it after that you went to the art school? Was that close to the time, speaking of traveling around, that where you went to India? I know Devesh wanted to hey chat man. about this a little bit. I'm the brown guy on the show. Yeah, yeah I, sorry, I you got to bring that up. India. Yeah, but when did you go to India, Derek? <laughs> so, so what I did is I did four years. The art courses and university courses were longer then. Mm -hmm. I mean, I did as much study as lawyers. So I did four years mm. in um, art colleges as an undergraduate. Four, uh, no, uh, yeah, four years. Mm -hmm. And then I was conscripted into the British Army, so I did four years art college, mm -hmm. two years in the British Army, and then I did three years in a postgraduate course, mm -hmm. and that was a place called the Royal College of Art, and it was a college that only accepted... There was no undergraduate. It was a college of art that only... Taught graduate students, postgraduate students. Cool, got it. And I was very lucky to be there at a certain time, because in my same year and same class, I was with David Hockney, yeah, and various other British artists um, of the time. Um, so, um, which was good. So I was very, I lucked out in that 
that sense. Um, so yes, I spent four years, three years in art college, and I know exactly how I went to India. I was come back from the Christmas vacation holidays, and I was just about walking down the stairs to go out of the building at the Royal College of Art, and I thought to myself, I'm not going to be a student in five months. What the hell am I going to do? I never thought that. I was like a student for life. <laughs> and I thought, I've got to be in the real world. And I walked down the stairs, and at the bottom of the stairs was the notice board. That's when all the information, all, whenever the parties were, whenever real exams were, whenever, you know, whenever exhibitions you ought to see were. They so advertised the parties? Yeah, they, oh yeah, of course. Yeah, they, <laughs> nice. Yeah. Ooh. Come on, man. Our old college parties were good. <laughs> so um, I looked at this thing and it said scholarships. And I said, oh, that's good. And I looked at scholarships and there was one to Japan and one to India. Mm-hmm. And I thought, and there, were, and there were other ones, I think, mm-hmm. uh, but I didn't take any notice of those. And I thought, well, that might be interesting. And then, funny enough, my professor said to me, oh, you've been nominated to, um, to, there's a scholarship going which we're going to recommend you for in New York. And it's the Parsons School of Art and Design in New York. Mm-hmm. And um, you can go there and you'll get a one year of tuition free. So I thought, well, that's okay, but um, I, speak in, I speak English, so maybe I'll go to America later. I'm much more, I want to be, I'm, Traveler. Actually, I had traveled a lot already. I was a big traveler. Maybe I got it from my father, who's a sailor. Uh-huh. But I'd been to, um, I'd been to um, um, a lot to Europe. I'd, I'd been to Morocco, hmm. and uh, so I'd been to North Africa, and I'd been to, well, I'd been to France and Spain when I was sixteen, seventeen, eighteen. You know, mm-hmm. and then I thought, but I haven't been anywhere like outside of Europe, basically, at that time. So I thought, I'll go somewhere, you know. Because later I travelled, I went to Russia, I went to Japan and stuff later. Mm-hmm. But at this time I didn't, and I thought, well, I'll, I'll apply for... Actually, I'll look into two scholarships. One was a Japanese scholarship, and I thought, oh, it'd be good to go to Japan. I've no idea what Japan is like, and, you know, I just have an idea. Right. You know, because, you know, when we look at other people's cultures, we're, we're burdened with stereotypes. Oh, you course. know, that's what we think. You know? yeah. And you've got to, you know, <laughs> go for them, you know, look yeah. at them and see which are true and which are not. And then I, I got put off the Japanese one because you had to study Japanese for a year and a half before you applied for the scholarship. Is that so? And uh, I'm so terrible with languages anyway. I'm uh-huh. just the worst. I don't, you know, I've traveled all over the world. And, you know, in Italy, I just put an O on the end of everything. <laughs> in English. It'll work. So, It'll work. So things like that. I mean, you're back in America, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. it worked, well, obviously. Anyway, um, I applied for the Indian scholarship and I got it. I, mm-hmm. I wrote a proposal. My proposal for the Indian scholarship was to study popular Indian culture, the art of the streets, basically. Mm-hmm. And I got it. It was just very nice. It was one year, and I went for a year, and I my, I was based in Calcutta, by the way. You're in Calcutta, okay. Yeah. Cool. I had a great time. I mean, it just opened my eyes. I became, because of India, I became a far more tolerant person. Yeah, man. It does a uh, lot to you to yeah. see that the lifestyle is... What, yeah, poverty what, as well as everything Yeah, else. wait, you're, you go, were you there? 62 to 63. That's a long time. 
Man, yeah, yeah I, I lived in India, I think, 96. Uh, I lived there less than a year. But, um, and I had visited multiple times prior. But that was just, I don't want to say traumatic, but it was traumatic <laughs> uh, to a degree. Like, it was just, I have a lot of family there. Which, where were you? Primarily in New Delhi. Oh, and, yeah. And I did travel around, like, I went to Patna and stuff like that, but um, primarily New Delhi. Yeah, yeah and, I was uh, in Delhi. Yeah. It was just, it was a lot to take in, especially because you know coming from America, I was at yeah. that time I was like ten. Oh, I went to India when I was nine, huh. and so I had to adjust to the toilets. That was yeah. or yeah. the lack of toilets, yeah. <laughs> and um, but just like you said, like the poverty, like that yeah. it's just really yeah. up front and center. Where just stepping outside, I am. Um, I had a great time. I met such interesting people in India. Mm-hmm. Indian people. Mm-hmm. I was very. I got quite friendly with Sajashit Rai, the film director. You know, really? The guy who did Apu Apu. Yeah, yeah, He was Bengali, and of course Calcutta is Bengal. Uh-huh. So I got quite used to Bengali culture. And then I got used, uh, the person I really liked too, was I got to know Ali Akbar Khan, who is the great Sarod player. Interesting. Yeah, he was the best Sarod player in the world, played a Sarod. You, you met them while you were in India? Yeah, and I used to travel with them. How did you run into that? Like, how, um, how did that start? Through... Because I was, in Calcutta, I stayed at the Ramakrishna Mission uh, mm-hmm. building, where it was full of scholars, both mm-hmm. Indian and American and British and everything. And so they were connected, and I met this marvelous woman. She probably was in her 70s when I met her in India. Mm-hmm. She's called Marie Seaton. She's British. Mm-hmm. Funny enough, before I tell you about her... For 10 years, I've been trying to persuade my oldest daughter uh-huh. to write a biography of her. Really? Now, my oldest daughter at the moment has gone back to Cal Arts and she's doing a master's degree in um, creative writing. Mm-hmm. And f- much to my surprise, about a week or so ago, she said to me, Dad, you know, because she always said, oh, I can't do it, Dad. It's too much work and I'm not interested. Mm-hmm. And... Mary Seaton, and now about three weeks ago, she said, Dad, I'm going to research Mary Seaton. And so she's really gone for it, you know. Right now? Yeah. That's awesome. Now, Mary Seaton was amazing. I met her, the reason she was in India was she was writing a biography of Sadashit Rai. Do you know who he is? No, greatest, the, the greatest Indian film director, by the way. Mm-hmm. He did, famous for many films he's done hundreds of films. Most famous was this Apua trilogy. So three films about a boy in rural India who grows up and becomes a businessman. You know, it's his mm-hmm. whole life, tragedies and pleasures. It's incredible. I've got them, actually. Um, so she wrote a biography of him. She had also written a biography of Nehru, Pandit Nehru, and she'd also written a, a biography of Indira Gandhi, and she was Indira Gandhi's best Western friend. They were very close. Seriously? Yeah, she was best. She also did a, a biography of Paul Robeson, uh, the American singer, okay. the, who was you know, a communist uh, singer. Who was, a, who was a communist? <laughs> Under the breath? Uh, Under this, in the mic. Let's make sure it's in the microphone. Commie. Yeah. <laughs> well, just like Donald Trump. Right? Um, <laughs> so, um, Here it comes. Okay, I, I, I want to tell all of our listeners right now 
this we're recording this right now and we all just went out to vote <laughs> like yeah, and so we're waiting to see the 2016 elections happening at the time of this recording and like we're because we're so enthralled with the election we're recording a podcast <laughs> while the tv's on in the background <laughs> we're trying to see what's gonna happen so legalize it bro we'll uh we'll look back on this episode and be like ah yes i remember that night oh when we, we all wanted to cry yeah <laughs> one way or another when we all wanted to cry <laughs> so sorry off topic but um you stayed in India for a year. You seem to have really dived into the culture. Yeah, I did. I, I really enjoyed it. And I made a lot of paintings. I was doing pop art paintings. Mm-hmm. And the format of the paintings when I went to India, lived in India, I had a studio there in Calcutta. And I did it. They were all about Hindu mythologies and uh, Hindu culture, mainly, uh, religious things. I haven't seen any of these. Is it, is I've got slices of it. Um, I don't know. I don't think they're in that book. I've got. I've got to get them printed. I need to check this out before we leave. How do you get slides digital? It's difficult, is it? I don't imagine. Not today. (laughs) (laughs) Not today. That's right. Pretty sure, like, like, depending on the slide, but I'm pretty sure we we we, can make something happen. Because I thought the quickest way to do it is just project it on a, you know, if you had a, a, you know, projector. Sure. And then you project and take a photo of it. Yeah, and then, <laughs> and then you and then you work on it on, on you know on the no computer. no we I'm sure there's a way to scan it yeah. properly I can figure figure it out yeah okay. yeah we got we got a photographer here he's saying yes we can so. oh, good. thanks BJ okay, <laughs> so at this time were you primarily paint on canvas uh, is that primarily painting and drawing yeah and, and now and then I got into film in the seventies and then I've done performance before Not performance we, installations and everything before, books, before books. we jump into that because you are a multifaceted person you have many talents uh, you India uh, you were painting the entire time you were there while you're exploring the country yeah I did drawings and stuff like that interesting there. okay so this is a good way to segue into that. What other stuff have you done? Because you look at your your bio online, you're not just a pop artist, you're a filmmaker. Yeah. yeah what else? Tell the audience, please. Um, I've done books. Um, I recently have done a. Um, they might be here actually. I've done a series of books of, <clears throat> based on a certain person that I'm going to tell you about. You may not know him, mm-hmm. but you should Google him. You should look him up. Mm. He's called Alfred Jarry. J A R R Y. Okay. Um, the most exaggerated thing that's said about him, that without him, there would have been no Dada or Surrealist movement. That's not true, because there would have been Surrealist movement, because Surrealism came out of uh, Freud, you know, mm. the, the psychology. So people started painting their subconscious and their brains mm. uh, and their dreams. But um, he he was amazing. Um, he was French. Um, he lived in Paris. Picasso thought he was marvellous and he was prompted. A lot of people supported him. Um, he was a dwarf and he would cycle around Paris on a green bicycle firing a gun. You're which kidding Picasso me. gave him. Um, and he... Oh, my God. He wrote a very, <laughs> he wrote a very, very famous play uh, called Ubu Wa. It's a play, an imaginary play about a king of Poland, and it's just so surreal and so odd and stuff. It's and a legitimate it's, play. You said, it, or is an imaginary? No, like it's, it's a play. It's a, okay. well, it's a famous play. Okay. And it gets performed now and then. In fact, the great thing about it, wish I'd have done it, but David Hockney designed the sets for it. Really? Yeah, way back. Um, lovely David. Um, 
then um, uh, what else did he do? Um, he invented something called pataphysics, which is the, it's a sort of, hard to explain, the art of the illogical, that everything has got its own realism. It's just a, anyway, because I've done a lot of work about him, paintings and books dedicated to him, I'm an honorary member of the London Pataphysics Society. And it's just an odd thing. They just, everything they organize is odd. <laughs> you uh, said pataphysics? Pataphysics is called P-A-T. Okay. Pata, and then physics. Um, for instance, they, they have parties in July to celebrate Christmas. They, it's, all the Christmas parties are in July. Um, they do everything in reverse. Um, he, he, tried to, he tried to live his life in reverse. He tried to spend a day. He, he got his table. He, he pinned his table in his chairs, and then he did it to the ceiling and tried to eat upside down. You know, he just every, everything was upside down. Every, every, I mean, he just... Which, look him up. I mean, I can do more than explain him. He's Alfred Jarry. I, I recommend any listener to look him up. Oh, my God. At least you know, try the wall before you go I, all the way to the ceiling, right? <laughs> yeah, like. that's right. <laughs> well, he was so short, because he was a wolf, that mm. he, he built an extra floor. You know, it, he rented an ordinary room and put an extra floor in because he could have two rooms in. Yeah. Um, he only used to eat fish that he caught himself out of the river scene. And what? of course he died early of mercury poisoning probably. Oh my gosh. Uh, oh my goodness. But he was an incredible um, person. He did beautiful drawings and stuff and everything. You know, in history, you know, you get people that are just not known enough. I mean he's very well known in some literary circles. Mm-hmm. But he was a great influence on people and was such an original, you know. You see, the thing with, with artists, and Justin, if you don't mind me, I want to segue into this part right now in, the, in our episode. By all means. Thank you, Justin. <laughs> um, you have impactful artists in history, in art history, just history, I'll say. Um, and you made a living out of being an artist, mm. right? Yeah. For somebody who's listening to this right now and they have ambitions, they have aspirations of wanting to be an artist, that's what they want to do for a living. What would your advice be for them? Well, I don't know. I, I suppose I would say stick to it. <laughs> you know, <laughs> if it doesn't go well, you know, don't, you know, get another job and still do the art. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of artists support themselves by teaching in university. Mm-hmm. A lot of artists have other jobs doing all sorts of things and try to find time. It's difficult. Mm-hmm. In my own case, I was interviewed recently for, it was last year actually, um, the BBC television, um, I think is still doing it, and it's been about two years now. They have a series of documentaries, and the series is called What Do Artists Do All Day? You've been on one of these yeah, episodes. So yeah, so they, they, they came here and they, sh- they filmed me for my studio, and I drove them around L.A. just talking about what I thought about, you know, being... As you know, an Englishman in L.A. You have, a, you have an opinion. Yeah. You definitely and have an it's opinion. Just, so, um, um, oh, I think, oh, well, they asked me, um, what do you think, you know, Derek, um, about your career? Will you, you know? And I said, well, basically I'm a survivor. I mean, I left school at 16 and started to do art, to which I knew nothing about, and I've just done art all my life. 
I've had bad times and good times, and I, but I am a survivor. Mm -hmm. I, you know, I make work. By the way, at the end of the documentary, the woman, the uh, director, a marvelous English person who actually lives, she lives here, um, Zara Haynes, uh, who's very well-known British documentary filmmaker, but lives in LA at the moment. Um, like all one British of her, people. Yeah, <laughs> true bits. She, um, <laughs> she um, asked me a question at the end of the documentary, which said, well, Derek, will you ever retire? And I said, you know, as an artist, you don't retire. It's not like, you know, a lawyer or a you know, school teacher or, you know, you, you do art until you drop, as it were. Because I said, it's a bit like the, a woman in Chicago. Um, and I don't know if it was, I, she was, if it was Christmas or maybe it was the summer. Um, she dropped dead in a department store, big department store in Chicago, and they rolled her over, and she was wearing a T-shirt which said "Shop to your drop." Oh my goodness! <laughs> so that's 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 what you'd call irony, right? Uh, I believe so. Okay, cool. But you see, I and I it's said, not morbidly funny. <laughs> but that's what I said. You do. You art to your drop. You know, basically. Mm -hmm. And someone printed up some T-shirts with that on. Art to your drop. Art till you drop. Yeah. <laughs> so like. So how do you go about getting your work out there? Just getting into galleries and just getting. Well, you have you you're represented by galleries. You have mm. you know actors have the writers and actors have the equivalent of agents, and you have an agent, but they're called gallerists. You know, you run galleries. Mm. I have a gallery um, in London, one in New York, one in I've shown in Berlin recently. Um, I have a gallery here. I'm having a show uh, in May coming up next year. May. Oh, my okay. gallery here called Night Gallery. Night uh, Gallery, that's yeah. going to be in Los Angeles. Yeah, yeah, Los Angeles. Very good gallery. Very nice mm. people. Like, I'm doing a show in May. Um, Where in Los Angeles is that at? Uh, downtown. It's um, basically um, Almeida and 15th. That's where a lot of the galleries are opening down mm -hmm. from 3rd Street down to 15th. There's a whole. That gallery, they have gallery. a really nice uh, feature on you on their website, actually. Oh, did he? Yeah. 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 They, yeah. Have a, they actually have access to your uh, your CV. <laughs> you, yeah. you have a bio on there and everything. Yeah. I saw that. I was yeah. like, and if people want to see Derek's work, that's actually a good spot to take out. You a look go to my night gallery or you go to my website, which mm -hmm. is just simply derekbosher.com. Derek, D E R E K, Bosher, B O S H I R.com. And it's a bit. I've got to update it. I'm about two years behind, but oh, it's okay. Man. <laughs> Still, I, I yeah. got lost in it. It's, it's okay. You're good. It's you fine. got you got pro you got proper engagement. Don't worry. Yeah. <laughs> so that's okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So galleries are like their agents. I did not know that at all. Yeah, they represent you. They do publicity for you. They help you. Actually, funny enough, I've not got a copy yet. But in the what are we? Maybe I did it. I think it's October or the November edition of um, there's a m magazine called World Interiors. I've got a five-page spread on that, mainly talking about David Bowie, by the way, which we haven't <laughs> talked about yet. We haven't talked about David Bowie. <laughs> I know well, we so haven't you, gotten you, even to the juiciest like yeah, parts we, that like. Well, well you, you you told me what things I do. Well, I you know I I make paintings, I make films, I do books. Um, I do lectures, and um, one thing I did, and I'm still working. In fact, that's how I met Joseph, um, who's here tonight. 
Joey, uh, Joey, Joseph Guillen. Joseph Guillen, yeah. who's my film editor. Mm-hmm. Uh, I met him, and um, that's when I started to make films again. But also, I started, uh, we did some trades, and I did a design a record cover and posters for his band, which no longer exists. Uh, audio graffiti? Yeah, audio yeah, graffiti. Yeah. So um, what happened there was um, way back in the late 70s, um, I, this is my how I got in contact with David Bowie. Mm-hmm. In 79, I curated a show at Hayward Gallery, a sort of museum in London, and um, I did a show called Lives, L-I-V-E-S. And the subtitle of the exhibition was Artists Who Use Other People as the Subject Matter of Their Art. So there was no abstract art, no landscape art, no self-portraits. There was no performance artists who used themselves. They could use themselves plus their alter ego if they wanted to, but it was all to do with uh, focusing on making your art about other people. Mm-hmm. And I, what I tried to do in that show in 79 was include high art and low art. So there was, you know, arts, art world art, but also the art of, you know, what was, oh, that's not art world, you know. And I included in that... Um, a person who I think was the best photographer in the 1960s is called Brian Duffy, and he was known as Duffy. Yep. And he called me up about a month or so after the exhibition, and he said, oh, Derek, he said, look, I've got a friend that I know quite well, and now I know you, and I've seen, I, I'd like to get you, you two together because I think you'd really get on. Well, the way he framed it, I was sure it was female and a blind date. <laughs> and I thought, oh, that'd be interesting. Yeah, that'd be great. So um, he's well, come to my photo studio, which is in, was in North London, and I went there. And, of course, it wasn't female. It was David Bowie. And, uh, I mean, that's he, a little... I mean, yeah, well, so pretty, he said... Uh, yeah. <laughs> that's a good trade-off. So he said... He's um, a beautiful-looking man. Yeah, that's we'll, right. we'll say true, that. True, <laughs> So he said, look, well, I'm doing this new uh, record coming out, LP called Lodger. And would you like to be part of the team? You know, we could collaborate. You know, this is Duffy, the photographer, you know. Right. And I've got an idea for it. So that's when I started working for him and doing things. And I've not only did I design uh, the record cover, but um, um, I designed stage sets for him. Look at uh, that. Which weren't used. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, I designed that. Actually, the Victorian Albert Museum in London, within the last three years, bought one of the stage sets. I've got one in my studio. If we were doing videos, we could do it in my studio. I've got the cardboard. Oh, we'll get a picture at least. Yeah, we can get it do that. It's on my website, I think. Awesome. You take it off of that. So um, Derek really wanted to be on camera today, oh, by yeah. the way. Yeah. So, we we, we disappointed Derek. Well, we, um, everyone, you know, because we're just audio. We're right 25 year olds, really, you know. We, are, we like to be. We like to be on. Yeah. Um, new school. New school. New school. And um, you're with it, man. It's all uh, good. New school. Um, so. Uh, yeah, that's how I met David. That's and we incredible. did some great things together. I mean, I remember, <laughs> let me think, and I'll, I'll just a couple of Bowie stories. Please. Um, D- David uh, rang me up one day, and I was living in London, by the way, mm-hmm. just the year before I came to live in America. Which was 16 years ago at this point. Uh, uh, at least 16 no, years. no, 79, 80. Okay, so wow. 20, Much. yeah. Way before. So, um, 
David called me up and he said, oh, Derek, you know, we, we better knock this record cover on the head. What do you think? And I said, fine, David, if we go with this and this, and we talked about that, and if we use that, it was a Friday, and I said, okay, I'll have it. I could have all the artwork ready by Tuesday. Mm-hmm. And David said, well, give yourself a chance. What about Thursday? I said, <laughs> fine, fine. I said, but... Um, I said, is there any chance we could meet in the daytime? Because we usually met in the evening. I said, could we meet in the daytime? Because I've got a, 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 I can cancel it, but I've got an appointment at, in the evening. He said, no, no, hang on a second. And I hung on when it was about five minutes. And he said, look, um, is 8.30 too late for your appointment <laughs> in the evening? And I said, no, no. He said, great. He said, um, come to Berlin for lunch. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, that's what I did. And I can't tell, there's another, it's a very long story about his marvellous place in Berlin. But I will tell you one other story. David, David um, was such great company to be with because he was smart. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, your conversations were interesting, roaming. Mm-hmm. And he, I would imagine. he used people, but not, you know, often talk about people, oh, if you say, oh, he used people, or she used people, that's negative. But he was the opposite. He used people and helped them, you know. For instance, one really? of my be- if I could only tell one story about David, mm. and that is, and this is what his PR told me. He said, <laughs> you know, he said, you know, David goes to a lot of art college shows, you know, graduating shows in art college because he's, you know, he's interested in art. He has a huge collection of art. Mm-hmm. And um, we did have since before he died. Um, right. So he said... Um, you know, he goes to... He, and she told me about a specific instance where he went to some art school in London, and I don't know which one it was, and he was looking around at the degree show, the finishing show for students, and he said, oh, this photographer's quite interesting. Went, yeah, I like these. He said, um, just take his, you know, contact number or something. Mm-hmm. Well, in less than two weeks, she said... Um, I had said to David, look, um, Italian Vogue want to... Um, do an article on you, would you want to do it? And he said, yeah. He said, tell them one condition. He said, if if they do the interview, I want them to use that photographer that was at college. Oh, that's great. Aww. So this guy's first job, he's just left college <laughs> as a photographer. His first job is to photograph David Bowie for uh, it, Italian Vogue. I mean... He does that a lot. Oh He's very generous. And because his that, hands were shaking so bad, every picture looked was, like... <laughs> no, for a kid, man? Yeah, like, I, that is Oh, I've so been awesome. with him in several photo sessions. He's amazing. Oh, man. It, was like, it was like Superman and the, going into the telephone booth. I bet, I bet he gets like into it with no shame, just like doing the, the poses and everything. Like, yeah, uh, I always say to people uh, about... When they ask me this question about David, but it's also true of... You know, famous people. Uh, you know, and famous entertainers. They're not famous entertainers for nothing. They, you know, there's a reason. There's a reason. They're good at it. <laughs> you know, and they yeah. know. And I always say that David knows what he looks like. He knows what his back of his head oh, looks yeah. like. And you know, it's strange to think because we and we see ourselves in the mirror and we see photographs of ourselves, but we yeah, never man. see the back of no, our head. Man. But we David see does. Angles. David did. He knew. He knew. He was a very, very generous person. You know. I went to I went to a concert. He, he said, "Come backstage." I was in Houston, living in Houston, in Texas, and David said, "Oh, I've got this concert going on, so why don't you come along?" 
you know. Um, yeah, you uh, made time for it. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I twist my arm. Um, <laughs> he was touring with Nine Inch Nails, and um, he, you know, he comes on. So they'd go on the first, and there's a break, and then he comes on and does this. He does one set, and there's, and it's not. And he, David said to me, "Oh, by the way, it's not big. It's not a stadium. I'm not doing a stadium concert. It's in big theaters and stuff. Uh-huh. So there were, you know, a couple thousand people there, not big." And he said, um, so he did a set. And then he said, well, it's great to be here in Houston, Texas. He said, uh, of course, there's a lot of British mafia here, he said. He said, do you know my friend Derek Bosher? He said, do you know him? He said, he's an artist. Go and see his show, you know. He's giving you a plug. Yeah, Yeah, big plug. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And, of course, you know, it was was, um, televised, so I go to college the next day and they say, Fucking David Bowie. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, that's not a news. He does it for a lot of people, a lot of friends. He, he seems like a genuinely good guy. Was, he was a good guy. He was interested in everything. He was inquisitive. And um, he was, you know, so opposite to some of his persona when you think of, you know, the characters sure. he created. Mm-hmm. And they might feel narcissistic but he was the opposite I loved how original he was yeah like, he, he was, was great really spreading he, that he moved he moved all the time yeah. he was interested in everything you know w- did you keep up uh, keep in contact with him until uh, he passed away well I'd lost contact with him for a few years before he died except mm. a few weeks before he died he sent me an email no way. And he said, Derek, I've got it. I could show it to you, so I've got it somewhere. But basically it said, Derek, I've got to tell you how much I like your new Thames and Hudson book that was published on you. He said, I think it was great. That's awesome. He said, I think your, your work has, your, and the actual words were, your work has cascaded down the decades. Which is very nice. <laughs> and then, of course, he died. Oh, what a compliment. Well, you know what though, he that's... did. You know, he kept it secret from everyone. And then his last record was about dying. So, yeah. typical David. <laughs> typical <laughs> David. Typical. Um, who else have you worked with in your career? What highlights? Let's do this. Your highlights, right? Your career highlights. Well, if we're still talking about music, I work, music, I yeah. work with The Clash. Right. And you did a songbook for them. Yeah. Which now... We don't we don't really do those anymore. No. So could you like could well, you give an explanation it, of what they yeah, were and how me, you got the let job? Let me put it all in context. At age seventeen and a half to eighteen, Joe Strummer went to art college. Yet another musician that started in art college. Now, when Joe Le- Joe Strummer Le- of the Clash, lead singer of the okay. Clash, yeah. um, when Joe uh, was in my class, he used to say to everyone, "Hey, man." Call me, call me Woody, man. Call me Woody. I want to be called Woody, man. And if you think about it, what did Joe Strummer of The Clash and Bob Dylan have in common? And that was that they were huge fans of the great American folk singer Woody Guthrie. Is that a fact? Because Woody Guthrie was, you know, singing songs about social context. You know, he was great, you know, mm-hmm. protest... Um, singer Mm -hmm. so that's why joe wanted to be called woody so so i was one of his tutors and i knew him at college and got to know him a little he was a very nice guy very interesting guy you know bit of a sort of rebel Mm -hmm. he was good for that reason 
And uh, about four or five years later, when they became very famous, they were The Clash. I was walking down the street in London about eight o'clock at night, and who should be coming towards me but Woody? <laughs> Except now Woody was no longer hippie. He, he had his, uh, all dressed in black, and he had his Doc Martin's shoes on <laughs> and some screaming fans. <laughs> and he was with uh, Paul Simonon, his uh, uh, bass player. Mm-hmm. And I went up to him and I said, Woody! And he froze, and I, I still remember this. It's on my website. We would buy a um, shoe shop. He said, I'm not, I'm not called Woody now. I said, I know you're not. It's a joke. I said, Joe, I'm a great fan of um, your, your music. I know all the Clash songs. So we had a talk, and I can't remember what we talked about in the street. <laughs> and then within a week or two, probably only a week, I got a phone call from another ex-student, and her name was Caroline Kuhn. And she said, oh, I've been told, you, you met Joe? I said, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, I met Joe. He said, well, I've been talking with him, and he, he wanted to know if you wanted to design the Clash second songbook. Now, nice. you have to put this into perspective. MTV didn't come into existence until 1981, mm-hmm. and this was 79. Mm-hmm. So what rock groups did at that time was they made... Songbooks, you know, 150 photographs of the artist and some lyrics and some chords and stuff, mm-hmm. and it went out. So I designed this, that book over there called The Second Songbook. And uh, I said, oh, you know, he said, are you interested? And I said, yeah, twist my arm. <laughs> uh, of course I am. I'd love to do it. Did and they I give s- you pretty much free reign? No, this is or? it. This is interesting. I had the same thing with David, which I haven't told you. So... With the Clash songbook, we talked about it. Uh, oh, no. With the Clash songbook, I said, well, can you give, what's my brief? What is it? And, um, um, you know, what should I do? And he said, well, Joe Strummer says, it's 48 pages. He'll send you all the lyrics and do what you fucking like. <laughs> really? <laughs> that was it. That's awesome. The perfect graphic brief. Because funny enough, I had the same thing with David Bowie. We, we had talked a lot about the cover. I told you we shot him from above as though he's falling. Mm-hmm. But um, in that, um, when he said, come to Berlin for lunch, I said, oh, David, David, just one thing. We haven't talked about the inside cover. What, 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 you know, what, what, we haven't even talked about it. Mm-hmm. And he said, do what you like. So you're, if you looked in the cover, it's all about life and death. He trusted you. He yeah, trusted yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. He's, That's it. Well, well David, as I say, when, when I said David used people, he used their creativity into for his. You know, he was he, he, he was knew. good. He's like some film directors. Let them let them roll. You know, let them. Yeah. Woody Allen talks about that when he's filmed the people he hires to make his films. Yeah, he said, Woody Allen said, I just let them get on with it. He said, yeah. and they're so good. He said, then I'll take the credit. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant filmmaker. Brilliant. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, what else were we talking so, about? No, like we're going through like who you met. We were talking about the music scene. Yeah. Uh, so we did. We had talked about Bowie. We were talking about Joe Strummer. Uh, what else do you got going on? Who else have you run into in your career? Um, musically, they they were the two people I met. You know, got to know most of all because mm-hmm. they they weren't. As I say, I'm not a great celebrity fan, but <laughs> if. A, if a friend is a friend and happens to be a celebrity, then I'm okay. Yeah. Um, 
funny enough, you should say who, who, I guess the most famous person I ever met by chance, <clears throat> you won't believe this, so was President Truman, Harry Truman. You met President yeah. Truman? Yeah. <laughs> now, I'll tell you how that happened, because that's an interesting story. When I came back from India, in India, in, India. in, in 1963, <laughs> mm-hmm. I came back by boat. So I came back from Bombay, or mm. Mumbai, Mumbai right. to London, and I came on a boat, and it was one week sailing. Mm-hmm. In fact, we, I got off at the bottom of the Suez Canal, got a bus up to the, uh, Cairo, mm-hmm. spent a day looking at the pyramids, and by that time, the boat was at the top of the Suez Canal. But during that trip, you know, if you're on a one... Uh, I don't know if it happens nowadays on cruises or anything, but this wasn't really a cruise ship, although it had yeah, passengers. Sure. Um, um, I, I, you sit at the same table with the same people for the journey, uh-huh. and if you're lucky, you get to go to the captain's table. Right. I never made that. But um, <laughs> I sat with these marvellous American couple, which... Um, I thought they were old. They're probably younger than I am now. But um, I sat with them the whole journey. And then when um, when they came to London, I said to them, look, I've been away for a year, but I know London quite well. So you go and do your stuff. You know, if you want to go and look at the Tower of London and all that tourist stuff, you can go. But if you, you know, I'll take you around to other parts. Mm-hmm. So they'd... One reason they were stopping off for two weeks in London on their way back to America, in fact, they lived in Walnut Creek, north of uh, uh, San Francisco, mm-hmm. and um, they said they were going to buy an MG car and they were going to drive it for, although it was left-hand drive, they were going to drive it for a week and a half, get used to it before they put it on the boat to come back to California. Mm-hmm. So, But we kept in contact a lot, you know, and uh, they became my pen pals. You know, I had a good time because mm-hmm. they said, no. I said, well, what have you done? You done, and uh, we've done, uh, we like your tours better. We, we like <laughs> where, where you go because you take us to these odd markets and odd places. The real places. Yeah, the, the, off the tourist, tourist trap. Well, part of the tourist trap. But tourist anyway, um, so um, I kept up correspondence when they came back to living. They were from California. And um, so... Um, in 64, I got a scholarship to come to America, mm-hmm. which I did. And I wrote to them and said, you know, pre, pre, um, pre-internet and stuff. So I wrote to them and said, oh, I'm going to be in your country and it would be nice, but unfortunately I'm going to be in New York. Mm-hmm. So I will be in California. So they wrote back and they said, God, what coincidence. We're going to be in New York when you're there. Would you like us to drive you across America and come to California? <laughs> come and stay with us. I said, well, sure. Yeah, yeah why not? Yeah. Did okay. you know how long the drive was before uh, you... Not, not until I looked at the map. Okay, all right. <laughs> <laughs> because when I came to live in America, I didn't know where Texas was. I got a job in Texas, and I thought, well, before I looked at a job, I said, where the f- where's Texas? And I get an atlas out, and I said, yeah. Texas looks good. I haven't been there. I've been to Los Angeles, been to New York, I've been to some places that, at that time in 1980. But I never wished, oh, Texas is right down by Mexico. That'd be good. I can get to Mexico for some visits. Mm-hmm. So, um, so they basically picked me up in New York 
and they drove me all across. It so happens that they didn't have an appointment. They just came, they drove all the way from California in the car, picked me up in New York and drove me back. That was, that was that's it. Yeah. amazing pen yeah. pals to have. Yeah, that's right, incredible. <laughs> in fact, so we got to, um, where's, where's the Truman Library in um, Idaho? No. I'm supposed to know this. I, I don't know. But we were going through there, and they said, oh, we'll take you, because they stopped off in a lot of places. We saw the dinosaurs. They took me to the dinosaur museums. And then we went, he said, oh, we've got to Harry Truman's the library. And so I went there, and they were looking around, and there was an announcement, and said, oh, President Truman will actually be in the building in half an hour. Wow. So if you like, in half an hour, go to the lecture hall, and um, he, he will answer any questions. Uh, there, there'll be no questions on politics. Religion or I come here, probably, really? probably sex. I don't know what I was. So um, that was fine. So they went off and they said, "Well, we've been here before, so you can look around at your own leisure time." So I looked around and all of a sudden, someone tapped me on the shoulder and I looked out and there's this huge FBI guy. He was a six foot three or something, big guy. And standing next to him was a little guy all in white, <laughs> and it was Harry Truman. And I looked at him and my first thoughts were. You look just like Eric Truman. <laughs> and it was him. And, it, you know, he had that white hat. He, he wore white suits. He had those glasses that were he had a particular sort of glasses. And I shook hands with him. And the only thing I remember about the meeting, his hands were so soft. They, oh was, they were incredibly soft, pudgy. And... Um, <laughs> I forget what we talked about. I mean, I, he said, uh, he dozed me brief. He said, oh, you're British. I said, yeah, I'm visiting. I'm driving across. And I told him, you know, I, uh, just incredible. Because, you know, with some people you meet, if you meet a celebrity, I mean, Harry Truman looked, was a dead ringer of Harry Truman. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. But some film stars, they don't, look, they don't look a bit like they're like. I mean, you see people. I mean, I've met some movie stars and women, and they're like, they got pimples and stuff, you know, because yeah, you, yeah. you used to see them on with makeup covers, on. Yeah, yeah, makeup on, layers of makeup, retouched, yeah. you know, and they sort of got bad skin, and, you know, <laughs> not like they were totally retouched photographs that you know is now the Vogue. And Truman was Truman with Truman pudgy was Truman. hands. Yeah, yeah, I can't remember. That's amazing. Yeah. So that was good. Um, yeah. I think actually we have to start wrapping up. We already went past an hour. That is true. I, I do have one question I want to ask you about um, a film you did. Yes. Um, the the film Change. Yes. Like one thing it was an interesting film, but what I thought was also interesting was that this film was this stored away for twenty eight years. Yeah. What happened? I made films in the late sixties and early seventies. I um. What happened there was a. I picked in 69, I think it was, I picked up an art magazine and there was an advertisement in there and it said, grants given to artists to make films, preference not given to filmmakers and explained that what they were trying to do is get people who were sculptors and painters to get involved in film. Mm -hmm. And I thought, oh, that's good. So I had been doing a lecture with about 80 slides, and I always used to think about this lecture that it, that it would make a better movie, a film, that the images were better not to be static, to be on the move. 
-hmm. So I put in this proposal and I thought, well, I'll just have a go. And I was one of the two people who got the money. I mean, obviously hundreds of people put in and I, I was, no one was more surprised than me when I got the award. And um, there was another guy who, the other guy, David, I can't, I can't remember, he made a great film called Vertical. And um, I, I, they told me I had to go to the British Film Institute editing rooms and go down and you'd meet this guy there and he'd set you up, he, you know, he, 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 you know you, that's where you'll make your film, so that's be your home for the next six months or so. So I went down to this film place and I met this guy and he said, well, look, he said, I read your proposal for a film, but I want to hear it from the horse's mouth. What do you want to do with this film? Mm -hmm. I said, well, I think I, uh, I told him what I think. He said, good. He said, no, look, he said, it's lunchtime. He said, look down in the street, there's a street market. Go down there and buy two sets of postcards, you know, two sets, two packets of plain postcards. He said, what do you say the name of the film was? I said, it's called Link. He said, put Link. He said, do you, then you said, you, you had an idea for the start of the film? I said, yeah. Well, he said, do some visuals, draw something, and then make a thing. And then you said, later, you want to do this. And, that. He said, and of course, I didn't know, but he was telling me how to make a storyboard. I didn't know what a storyboard was. <laughs> <laughs> so he did it. And then... He said, well, have you got a camera? And he, I said, no. He said, well, it's going to be a bit so difficult making a <laughs> film. I said, well, actually, I've got two friends who I teach with, and they've just bought a hand-cranked, um, oh, what is it? Oh, those classic cameras. Yeah, yeah, hand-cranked. Yeah, yeah, the manual cameras. 18 millimeter. Uh, yeah, 16 millimeter. 16, 16, 16, 16, yeah, yeah. 16 millimeter. Oh, God, I've forgotten the name. It's very famous. Best fix, 16 millimeter. And they said they want to learn to be make films it was coincidence and they said they'd be my film editor uh, film cameraman i said okay fine he said good he said now what do you know about editing i said no i don't know anything he said come in here this is the editing room and this is you know it was then tape you know you tape you know splicing and yeah, sure stuff, sure, and sure stuff yeah. like cut and splice and yeah. stuff and they told me i learned that and stuff and then I learned stuff. Oh, my best experience was learning about sound, and that was amazing. But then I got to know the guy very well, and I used to go around to his house for Sunday lunch with his wife and kids. And did I luck out? Because he was a director called Bruce Beresford, mm -hmm. big-time Australian film director who made many Hollywood films, including... I think you got an Oscar for it. Driving Miss Daisy, you know that? Yeah, I know yeah, that. that was his film. Wow. And he taught me everything about film. And I just thought, God, I was so lucky. I'd say, what do you think? It was him that said to me, um, what are you going to do about sound? I said, well, I'll make the film, put the sound on later. No, 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 no. no, no, no. no. <laughs> you don't do that. He said, you think about the sound right at the beginning and you work through it. I mean, uh, I said, oh, okay. And he said... Um, you have to go to the sound library. I said, what's that? He said, well, book libraries. He's Sound libraries, yeah. You give go. me the 411. Yeah. So it was so good. I learned so much about sound from, from going to these films, mainly because all the people that went to the sound libraries were real professional filmmakers. So they said, oh, right. give me a 742, uh, and then I give it, I want it 70, de deducted so-and-so. And they write it down. And here's me who knew nothing. <laughs> He's like, smiling, hey, looking at everything. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I want this sound of a, you know, a laundromat. And going, and he's in, <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Anyway, 
they saw me and I complete idiot and I didn't and they could do things and they could help me and they they were so useful the best thing they did I mean I'll tell you one example in the film the first film I had to go to the Saudi Arabian embassy to get a clip of Muslims circumnavigating uh, in Mecca mm. the Kaaba yeah, that, that big that pilgrimage cube. thing. Yeah, yeah, the pilgrimage thing, the big square one with Giant covered in black. velvet. Yeah, yeah, covered in velvet. Huge the pilgrimage spirit. thing, yeah. just the thing they no, pray this, to four this, times. This, no, yeah. this is like a thing. You have Every to go, Muslim has to go in their lifetime to two, yeah. two or three times. <laughs> I'm sorry, Justin. I didn't know for trolling here or not. <laughs> it's a cheese. <laughs> it's a thing. Okay, Muslim thing. So, it's the Muslim um, thing. I, I finally got it, but I didn't have any sound. I couldn't take it because they were talking about oil statistics. So I took the sound off. And I went to the film library and I took this, you know, what, you know, minute and a half thing and I said, look, I want some sound. I want a sound of like, you know, 2,000 people murmuring, going, eh. They said, oh, yeah, and we got it. And I said, oh, that's not really right. Oh, and they said, oh. well, you know, we can mix things. I said, oh, really? Yeah, I didn't know. Hey. Well, let's try some markets around the world. And I got the German markets, and that wasn't right. Would you hold the whole And French markets were, and the Spanish, I mean, it was all different. And then they said, well, we can mix things. And they tried, and they really experimented, and they did things. But the best thing they did, they, they decided to do it right from scratch. They wanted to show me what you could do with sound. And this was the great experiment. And if you saw, and you could see it, I've got the film, but it's, it's my longest film, it's 40 minutes long. It's called Link. Mm-hmm. And um, so if you get to that spot in Mecca, I'm sure when you see that film, that you'll, you'll be convinced that's 2,000 Muslims murmuring. Yeah. <laughs> but how it started, because they wanted to show me the extremes, it started in an English pub in, on a Sunday morning with about five people, and they were very British, and they were saying, hey, hello, Jack, what are you going to have? Journey? Journey? What do you want? Gin and tonic? Journey? Journey? Gin and tonic? What are you having? You like, you like a bit of rum, Ronnie? Ronnie, you like a bit of rum? And uh, I'm round on me, you know. And uh, they took that, and they scrambled it, and they added stuff, and I, they showed me the whole... F- and in the end, it's 3,000 people. No who, way. Who are Muslims, yeah. That's, that's called skill? That's yeah. hard, to, hard to believe. Yeah, but. I know. And they, it was, I mean, they wouldn't have done it to anyone else, only an idiot who didn't know anything. And they wanted... And because I got very interesting sound, and they, you know, they told me, you know, certain things. You know, you know Joseph would know this, but, I mean, the basic thing about film is... You know, 101, first half day, if you're learning about film, if you if you shoot an image for three seconds, one, two, three. No, it's one and two and three. But that's a long time to hold an image. You mm-hmm. put a sound on that and it, whew, it just mm-hmm. goes. Yep. It's just basic 101 and you get to know that. And you get to know what you can do. You just do a bunch of audio L cuts. <laughs> just elongate. <laughs> well, Joseph has been so helpful with that. Oh, you got good help with you. 
You got you got you got, you got, you got, you got one. We're pointing to Joey, uh, Joseph. Off, uh, Thanks off for my... getting us the interview, bro. Thanks, Joey. <laughs> Joe, if it, it was Joey's uh, doing that made this interview possible, so Good. we'll Good. give him a shout out. On well, air. he made my films possible. So. <laughs> oh, Joseph Joey. Gully, film editor, the best. <laughs> Hire him today. Pulling a David Bowie on <laughs> us, giving the shout outs. That's right. That's right. All right. All I'm right. Done, no. Yes. Yes. I'm done. We have to end the episode. We've gone on for too long. Okay. So, Justin, do you want to? I think that's. You know what? Let's end on this. D- Derek, where can people find your stuff online? How can they keep up with your artwork and everything okay. you're doing? Okay. Since I live in Los Angeles, I'm going to suggest two things. I have other galleries, but if you go to my website, you'll see my other galleries. But contact Night Gallery, Night as in opposite today. Uh, night galleries in Los Angeles downtown. Mm-hmm. And the other thing to do is to go to my website, which is derekbosher.com. Excuse me, no someone problem. knocking on the door. <laughs> well, there you have it, everyone. I think that's... <laughs> we'll do on that, and thanks for joining. See you, guys. Hi. Oh, Jesse, you got... Oh. I thought oh. I Dude, we're still recording right now. Not the episode, but there's pizza, and that's amazing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, gotta go now because the pizza's coming. <laughs> All right, everyone, thanks for listening to this episode. Yeah, and thank you so much for welcoming welcoming us into your house oh, and great. showing us everything yeah, and lovely. just being yeah. awesome and having the most. Uh, sorry, ladies who have been on the show, but I, I gotta say you have the sweetest voice <laughs> of any of our guests so far. There's like music to my ears. Yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, we'll post some pictures of this uh, this episode online. And okay. uh, yeah, thanks, sure. Derek. Appreciate Lovely. it. Lovely. You've been awesome. Thank right. you so much. Thank you. I'm so grateful that Derek allowed us to just bring a crew, like a photographer, <laughs> like two hosts, a bunch of podcast gear, and a good liaison buddy of ours to just chill. Yeah. And just take over his home. and Invited us into his home and just... Offered us beer immediately. Yeah, it was great. And we got to, like, look around at, like, Man, how much he's got so much stuff there. Even the bathroom yeah. was like, wow, dude, <laughs> look at oh, this yeah. bathroom. <laughs> so I, I, I'm not sure if Derek wanted us to talk about his bathroom on air, but his bathroom was hilarious. <laughs> like, I was, I went to go use it, and you just stop and you just paid attention to what you're staring at while you're doing your business. It was like, wait a minute, like everything's satire. It was brilliant. I loved it. And even his uh, his little studio, like he made artwork, just stuff that he was never going to release publicly, but. He's constantly cool. doing it. He's just all doing the time. It. All the time. Yeah. I, I really hope that uh, everyone appreciated the stories he said. He definitely, um, I don't know how you want to call this, he definitely loved the microphone. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. For sure. And we didn't get to, like, uh, yeah. <laughs> I felt like it, we didn't need to ask that many questions. It was just, you know, this story after story of his life. And I was I, I was totally down for it. Because every single one of them was amazing. It was just like, you what? what okay what who okay like this episode had the primary conversation we had at his place but don't get me wrong like we continued talking before and after the uh the recording oh yeah when the yeah. pizza came and the oh, yeah. show just ended yeah yeah pizza like, done. pizza's here it's over okay let's wrap up <laughs> but anyways guys uh we appreciate you coming out and if you're an inspiring artist just keep with it man just like Derek's saying uh there's no set path and how do you get to work out there i mean there's some traditional avenues of course but the main thing is just keep with it. Know that somebody out there is going to be interested. Yeah. 
Yeah. Why do you think we're trying to do this podcast? Yeah, right I know. Now? I'm trying. I think. Uh, oh, it's happening. It's been happening. Is this, is this sir? live? Yeah, man. <laughs> Definitely posting on some sites. I mean, no, but uh, somebody's listening. I have no idea. But we appreciate every listener, though. Yeah. Thanks for listening, guys. Uh, so today we got uh, we got Chuck Levens. Chuck yeah. Levens. Thanks for hooking us up with all of our equipment. You guys are awesome. If you guys got any audio needs, visit chucklevens.com. And also we got Core Foundation. Core Foundation, a multimedia nonprofit. Check us out at Core Foundation. C O R dash foundation.org and also everyone as usual check us out on social media follow us at instagram and twitter at the i hour and also on facebook the interesting hour yep. yeah comment talk to us yeah. we'll, we'll talk back we'll talk smack we promise we promise all right man we should not be promising this all right guys no we will all right, we'll, we'll, we'll see you next week yeah totally bye, bye.